Hello, welcome to the Beats and Bleeps podcast. I'm your host, Anthony. Today, I'm joined by Frederick Hathian. Uh, how are you today, Frederick? I am excellent, and thank you very much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Um, so, I mean, normally where I start with the questions is kind of at the beginning of your your career as a, a writing soundtracks and working in the gaming industry. So how did how did that come about for you? Well, uh, my story starts uh, quite far back, uh, back when I was like 13 or 14 years old. Uh, my dad at the time was a computer teacher and uh, he uh, worked at a place that was like this big like computer like place, which is like had like 20 computers and like a server. And uh, he would go there on weekends and uh, I would follow him because I didn't have anything better to do. And uh, the server computer in that room had a sound card, Ooh, <laughs> uh, which was quite unique at the time. And uh, it had a Sound Blaster 16. And also it had, a, it had a, a desk drawer with interesting things in it. One of the things it had was a CD-ROM. I, rem- I remember it very clearly. It had like a weird kind of like butterfly thing printed on like on the cover. And inside were a host of treasure uh, <laughs> software from dubious origins. And <laughs> one of the things uh, on there that called out to my 14-year-old self was something called Studio 4. And uh, it was made by a company called MidiSoft. Uh, I opened it up. It was just a, a, a virtual sheet of music paper, just staff paper. And I started clicking around and was like, wait, I can make sounds with this? And as a part two to this, uh, internet was fairly new back at the time, you know, back in my day. <laughs> <laughs> and I uh, was very uh, fond of a site called vgmusic.com, which had a lot of MIDI files from a lot of video games. People would just listen to those files down, and you could download them, right? And I would open those files up in Studio 4 and I would look at this and just hear what to my brain was just the music from the games being played uh, as I was looking at it. And it was the most, the, most, the most magical thing in the world. And that is when I decided that this was a thing I wanted to do. When my actual career started was quite a lot later than that for uh, various family-related reasons that we may or may not get into later. Um, but basically, I just ended up at a, um, an institute of, uh, institute of Technology in Blekinge in Sweden, where I was studying digital uh, audio production. Uh, I started there in t- 2008. And uh, there I just met a lot of people that did what I wanted to do. And uh, I was in my mid-20s at that point. And I just started my own company and started networking like crazy, went to game jams, did stuff like that, and just started writing. Of course, I'd been writing music for like my entire life up up until that point, like 10 years or so. But now I was working with people who had demands and I had to, you know, you know, acquiesce to what they wanted and not just do what I wanted. And that was an interesting experience. But that is what what it was like for me like getting started i guess so in terms of prior to that fateful meeting with the server computer with a sound blaster 16 which (laughs) i'm I'm kind of thinking some people that listen to this might not even even like the sound blaster might not even mean anything and it's like ah you had a sound (laughs) blaster yeah like i think 
when I built my first PC, I had a Sound Blaster Rodigy that had like the front panel with all the lead out, and that was like the coolest yep. thing ever. And yep. people, yeah, you know, pe- people just won't know how cool that is anymore. <laughs> nope. <laughs> but, but back in our day, yeah. <laughs> but but prior to that, did you have like um, did you add like any sort of formal music tutoring? Like, did you learn any instruments at all, or? So I was very musical from a very young age and my parents had a very adversarial relationship to the concept of artistry in general uh they at least my mother vehemently did not want me to become a music person anything because that was uh, would equate to poverty and uh, her having to be ashamed of me but at the same time, it was a very good way of keeping me distracted. I got like a Casio mini keyboard that could only play no- two notes at a time when I was like, what, like five, six, seven, something? Uh, and I would play that endlessly. And then uh, I took up, um, my parents put me in uh, like a group uh, of kids playing the cello when I was quite young as well uh, with the Suzuki method, which means for those who may not be aware, the Suzuki method is entirely based around, well, not entirely, but mostly based around listening and not so much sheet music. Um, but then we moved to another town uh, when I was around 10 or 11. And at that point, my ironically, my mother thought it would be good for me to take up another kind of hobby. And they found like a marching band in the town and they needed someone playing saxophone. And I started playing the saxophone, the alto saxophone specifically. Um, so I was playing that, but I was initially I was playing it quite reluctantly because you had to practice. <laughs> and, um, you know, to be good at something, you kind of have to do it a whole lot. And at first, I didn't think it was fun because you, you, we never got to play anything fun. You know, we, we played the same thing all the time. And also, I was, at, I was second saxophone. The cool stuff always went to the first saxophone. But eventually, the first saxophone, you know you know, graduated or whatever, and I took over his position, and then things started to get a lot more fun. Did I have a formal music education? No, never. Again, my mother very, very much uh, opposed any sort of, like, formal training. So anything that I learned, I kind of did by osmosis, just either by downloading a whole lot of MIDI files from the internet and learning, just listening and just copying, uh, much like all composers, I'm sure, I had faces, right? When I was like, there, there was the Uematsu face, where everything I wrote kind of sounded like Final Fantasy VI. Then we had the Mitsuda face, where everything I wrote kind of sounded like either Chrono Trigger, Chrono Cross, or Xenogears. And then we had the Sakimoto face, which, honestly, I'm probably still kind of... <laughs> you know, I kind of still am in. <laughs> uh, where I... You know, because we are we're all influenced by different people uh, that we look up to. And I gravitated towards Hitoshi Sakimoto's music uh, a bit later on. But I never had any kind of formal training uh, as a kid. Yeah. No. So in terms of the first, I mean, I was looking through your credits and like the first sort of few games you worked on were more mobile games and like Games Jam. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So how did and then the first i don't want to call it proper game like but the first one that kind of had a a release on pc and consoles was uh, another one i'm going to struggle to pronounce but knuts underground and you wrote a few songs for that soundtrack yep, yeah yeah so that's how, true 
there how like was was there a different sort of thing writing it for a game that was going to have more of a, a formal release like levels of expectation compared to you know game jams which is obviously you know you want to make the best thing possible but you have the time restrictions and things like that i mean knit uh which by the way is how you pronounce it knit it's a swedish word meaning basically a tiny creature uh, and uh the, the thing about knit underground was it's made by in my mind, quite a famous indie developer, Niklas Nygren or Niflas, uh, who was very big in the indie scene back in the early 2000s. Uh, his first game was called Knit, and then Knit Stories and Within a Deep Forest and a lot of those, right? So I had played them, and I was just so impressed. I didn't even know he was Swedish to begin with, I found out later. And then, as I remember it, uh, I was just at a game jam, like I think like a I want to say I was at a Nordic game jam in Denmark. And I think I just met Niflas. And I was just like, oh my God, I'm like your biggest fan. <laughs> and uh, we, and I just started talking to him. And he's the, he's the sweetest guy, right? He's so kind, so nice. And he has so many cr- wonderful, crazy ideas. And I just kind of asked him, I was like, hey, are you working on anything right now? It's like is there any chance that I could write music for anything you're doing? And he was just like, in his very Niflasy way, just kind of went like, yeah, sure, uh, <laughs> there's something, I'll let you know. And then we just kept talking, and uh, I just ended up writing a couple of tracks for Knit Underground. Uh, well, you know, and that was a very interesting experience. In terms of if it was different, I mean... Yes and no. That was I had worked on games before, and my approach to working on games, regardless of their destination, like platform-wise or budget, is always the same. Which is, what kind of music would fit? Uh, it's a constant dialogue between me and whoever's in charge, right? Or like in terms of larger projects, it's like the department which I'm, you know, where I'm working, you know, most closely with. And just trying to figure out how do I write music that fit the vision. And it, when it came to uh, Knit Underground in particular, I was extremely familiar with uh, Niflis' uh, old games. Uh, he's also a composer, right? So I'd listened to all of his music a lot. And it was just, like, I didn't contribute a whole lot. But what I did write was very Niflis-y, kind, kind of, like, quite modular in nature, which means that you could kind of remix parts of it and put them all together in different ways and his game engine which he kind of i think either wrote himself or heavily modified himself basically had its own music player and kind of played the music in different sections that he could then turn on or off with different layers right and it all had to fit together um so there was that concession that everything i wrote had to kind of be uh it had to be in layers that could be easily merged and faded in and out yeah but apart from that, it was just like, what what would fit, right? And I got to see screenshots of the areas, so. Yeah. So then, moving on from that, the, I think it was the same year, you worked on Horror at MS Aura, and that was all yourself, well, all yourself composing the soundtrack for that. Yeah. So obviously it's, uh, it's hard to kind of see what that game game was about other than the let's play and things because obviously it, it no longer exists in that sort of form i mean is that is that kind of a bit disheartening for yourself like i know obviously you still have the music and you're still able to 
to listen to it, but the thing it was supposed to accompany is almost almost lost in time. It's a bittersweet feeling. Um, the horror of them as Aurora was a very, very, very ambitious student project. I talked about the Blaking uh, Institute of Technology earlier, which is where I met the people, and we eventually, like for our bachelor's degree, we formed a fairly large team yeah. uh, and decided that we were going to do heavy rain at sea. And it's like, that's quite ambitious. Yeah. And we, we, like, we asked for, like, we took out a loan uh, to get a budget and we did like action, actual like motion capture uh, at a place in Stockholm. And I was given a budget for an orchestral soundtrack, like real orchestras. Uh, I got to work together with a company called Dynamedian uh, that, you know, who they booked an orchestra in, uh, in uh, Belarus and I got to actually write. And that was the first time I'd gotten to work with real musicians playing and recording my music like and i got to sit in at the, like at the skype se- session when that was happening it was incredible but let's not mince words i do not wish to throw any shade at the people involved because that's kind of not very productive but the game like the, the entire production kind of fell apart to yeah. the point where at the end we were three people total working on the game uh, it was the lead producer, my partner, uh, and me. And we basically inherited a code base that was not super optimized, not very easily understood by us. None of us really, because it was built in Unreal Engine 3, and yeah. none of us really had the experience to work on that. And we we were running out of time and money, and were looking at like a, like a company bankruptcy at that point. Yeah. And we just had to get something out, and we were... The, the amount of crunch that we went through and I had to do, like, not just, like, I wasn't just responsible for the music, right? I was also re- responsible for, for all the dialogue, recording, and implementation, uh, all the sound effects, all the sound design, the ambience, you know, and implementing that into the game as well. Not just making it, but implementing it. Yeah. Uh, I also did, like, like I had to learn, like, stuff to make menus because we didn't really have those. And we were basically just crunching our butts off until the game had to be released. And it was released and met with, I mean, either middling kind of eh reviews or outright ridicule. Yeah. And, I mean, what does that feel like? Of course it feels terrible because... As flawed of a project as it is, as overambitious as it was, we were also very proud of the fact that we had managed to do anything at all uh, in that time. And to see that getting lambasted hurt quite a lot. But what saved it for me, and this always, I feel always, I always feel a little iffy about like saying this because it feels like I'm very self-congratulatory, but every review that even mentioned the audio at all always made a point of pointing out that the audio and the music was the best part of the whole experience. Yeah. And that at least made it bearable. That and the fact that I got to work with, and that is a, that's an ego boost I can sometimes feel in my core today. The fact that, hey, my music was recorded by a real philharmonic orchestra in Belarus, and I wrote all the sheet music. The 
the the conductor and orchestrator barely touched my original orchestration and that was before i even properly learned how to orchestrate <laughs> and that is quite a big like that's a good positive feeling to think back on but yes it does hurt that the game is nowhere to be found anymore it was taken off like that was ba- back in the day when when steam greenlight was a thing yeah and we basically in a in a very funny little twist uh, got through the green light process like one week after the company had gone bankrupt and we just had to kind of like you know sell off all the assets and just bury the whole thing so it just felt a little yeah it's weird right but i mean i wouldn't it's a val extremely valuable experience in humility yeah. in figuring out what kind of a scope your game should have in understanding the interdepartmental problems that can occur, in seeing what problems can happen when you try to work with a, you know, a specific engine. All of that experience was extremely valuable, but it's also, it's bittersweet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, I think that's it. It's like, even if, even if there are negatives, you know, it sounds like you've took the, the positive experiences you've learned from various things and, I was going to ask that. Obviously, mentioned you didn't have any sort of formal music training, and then writing music for an actual orchestra to play. How did that go? But obviously, went fine, you know. And that's <laughs> kind of that. I guess it, it's one of those where you kind of learn a lot on the um, when you're actually doing it. And now, now you've done it, you kind of be like, I can do that now. I'll put that in my my little thing of I can do and tell people I can do. I mean, obviously, looking back at it now, I'm listening to it and I'm like, oh, you know, sweet summer child. Like <laughs> I was I was very um, I was very inexperienced. My orchestration is not super fantastic. My melodies are quite simplistic and I'm never quite entirely sure back then. Like, what are the limits of the instruments? What can I actually do? Like, just one great example is that I did not include any percussion because in my head it was like, well, recording percussion is difficult in an orchestra because if I want to like tune it down the mixing engineer doesn't want it to be quite as loud it's more it's more difficult and maybe i'll just add that in post but i didn't add anything including like um timpani right like which is a fundamental tonal color of the orchestra it's not so much just a percussion instrument a timpani is well the timpani drums are part of the backbone of the orchestra so the conductor and the orchestrator kind of gently kind of went like hey Maybe we could just add, like, they could just play the same note as the, like, the double basses. And I'm like, yeah! And, <laughs> you know, th- that, that was the thing that I'm looking back at now. And I think that's quite cute that I thought that. <laughs> I was going to say, especially, like, going from taking something to an orchestra who generally have, like, quite a high level of understanding of, like, music theory and stuff. And it's like... Are they are they gonna make fun of me? Are they gonna be like, what's what's this guy doing? <laughs> <laughs> the fear was there, but I uh, they they filmed a lot of the uh, recordings as well. They actually we made a little uh, trailer for that, just showing the orchestral recordings. And not only am I still filmed with filled with like happy feelings of like the way the conductor and orchestrator spoke about my music and my my writing, but. Uh, I've shown that video to a couple of my composer friends and all of them had the same thing to, to say, which was basically, you can tell the musicians are having fun playing this. Yeah. And that has been basically my guiding principle ever since. Like yeah. if I write something for live musicians, they have to have fun playing, right? 
Yeah, I mean, it definitely is one of those things. You always hear people like, oh, you know, you can tell they were enjoying making it, but you actually can. Like, you know, they're, they're enjoying playing it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I, th- I think you've kind of alluded to it before, um, but pri- prior to, like, uh, wanting to and working on, on computer games, were you, were you a, a gamer, in inverted commas, yourself prior to that? Yeah. I grew up with video games uh, in a family, in like a middle-class family with the, where I was the only child and parents who did not quite understand how to show love or affection to a child. I was basically in lieu of being shown a lot of affection. I was basically given stuff. Now, that makes it sound like I was a very spoiled child. We did not have a whole lot of money, but what, what, I would, ha- what would happen is I would basically get a new system when it was released. So when I was a quite young child, I got a Nintendo Entertainment System with like Duck Hunt, Duck Hunt and Mario on it. And then when I was like 10 or 11, I got a Super Nintendo. So I have been playing video games basically my entire life and i still am to this day like uh it's rare that i go a day without playing just like at least a like an hour or two of of something there's always something at least at least two hours (laughs) at least (laughs) just just a small amount of time (laughs) so i mean what what sort of um what like genre of games do you typically like playing or is it a, a mash of everything it used to be quite broad, but then uh, I encountered the beast, Dark Souls. And since then, uh, <laughs> since then, it has basically been Dark Souls-like games. So I started out with Dark Souls 1, then went to 2, then went Bloodborne, then 3, then Sekiro, which I didn't enjoy quite as much, and then, of course, Elden Ring. But... My big shame has always been that I started playing Demon Souls way back when I had a PS3, and I absolutely hated Demon Souls. It was like this was before I even knew what Dark Souls was, and I played it, and I was like, "What the actual heck is this?" Like, I just die. There's no progression. Wait, I can't level. I die all the time. The bosses are impossible. What is this? And then I went back to it after beating Dark Souls 1. And I was like, oh, wow, this is an underappreciated classic. And yeah. So these days I gravitate a lot towards Souls-like games, yeah. be they 2D or 3D, right? But I sometimes, like, I am not a stranger at all to the JRPG games. Like, when I grew up, like, Secret of Mana was one of the most important games, like, formative experiences for me, both as a quote-unquote gamer and also as a composer. Hiroki Kikuta's music is still one of the most amazing things that I've ever encountered in in VGM territory. Um, So I played all the greats, right? And that's a thing that I am grateful to my parents for, because they did... They did have a, have a weirdly good nose for games that would be classics. So on my shelf, and they are still there now, by the way, just to the right of me over there by the balcony, uh, you still have Mario 1, 2, and 3. You have Mega Man 1 and 2. You have Zelda 1 and 2, Link to the Past. And then you have Secret of Mana, Chrono Trigger, which we, by the way, had to import to Sweden, and I had to use an adapter for because the I was playing uh, an NTSC game on a PAL console. Oh, uh, I remember. Uh, that. I I also yeah, and I was I also have Final Fantasy VI. I had to play that one with an adapter too. And funny story, that adapter messed with the game so badly that 
if unless I was inside of a cave, I couldn't see the menu. Like when I went to the menus, it was just white text, black background, and no cursor. So I had to learn how to navigate to the optimize button by like just by knowing where it was. That bit me in the butt when I finally actually beat Final Fantasy VI. And it turns out that the entire ending just was black with music <laughs> playing over it. Oh, no. <laughs> and it was, I imagine that was before the day where you couldn't just put in Final Fantasy VI ending on YouTube and just watch it there so you know what you've missed out on. I mean, sure. How old must I have been back <laughs> in the day when I played Final Fantasy VI? I must have been, what, holy heck, 14, 15? Maybe even younger than that. Uh, that was, I mean, YouTube was not even a thing back right. then. Uh, emulation, you know, the forbidden word, was barely a thing. Uh, back in my day, back then, you know, downloading an MP3 of something took, like, the entire lunch break from school. So, so uh, no, that was not a thing. <laughs> I just kind of figured that maybe this was an artistic statement until I played it much, much later. And I was just, oh, there's actually a cutscene playing here. And it makes so much sense because it's playing the character themes when they're doing things on the screen. <laughs> I mean, in, in comparison to that, we won't... We'll try not to do any spoilers for people that still haven't played Final Well, I say still haven't played. I've not finished Final Fantasy VI, so please, please no spoilers of the ending for that. I'm actually like, <laughs> I'm trying, I'm trying to beat it this year, and I foolishly started it. But I, I, I felt the same with Final Fantasy VII when it ended, and that's actually the ending. <laughs> it's just like there's like there's kind of a looping bit. We'll we'll describe it as, and it's just it stays like that forever. And I thought the game had broken because. I was waiting for something to happen oh, yeah, for about half an hour <laughs> yeah that's that's without again without spoiling that's something that you kind of become like you, you start appreciating that when you get a bit older and you understand the artistic intent behind it yeah but when i when i when i beat final fantasy okay yes i must have been a lot younger when final fantasy 6 came out i must have been 12 because final fantasy 7 was released in 97 and yeah. i was four, thir 13 or 14 years old at that point I still remember beating it together with a good friend at the time. Uh, and uh, I mean, as magical as that experience was, and of course, hearing One Winged Angel for the very first time with actual Latin lyrics being sung at us from a game. I mean, that was unheard of back in the day. That was a magical experience. But yeah, the, the ending to that game is very good, but only when you think about it a little bit. <laughs> Definitely is. I mean, I was just gonna say, think, think. You're a tiny bit older than me, but I think our sort of generation gaps for like the ages we were when we had consoles. That shift from having a, a SNES and like having the amazing soundtracks, but played using the the sound chip on board, to the PlayStation that had these fully cd recorded live music was, was just outrageous and especially the games that had soundtracks composed for that rather than so obviously i think my, my memory from the playstation was there was a lot of licensed soundtracks so you know like tony hawks and stuff like that where they used existing songs which worked brilliantly but the ones that actually was like went to a composer especially final fantasy games and like a lot of rpgs is like yeah you can write a proper full soundtrack here's everything you need off you go and then you come back and you've got these 
I don't know, like four or five hours of just masterpiece music. <laughs> it's just like, ah, yeah, hey, that that beats the the bleepy four songs of MIDI MIDI stuff on a NES quite quite substantially. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, it's um, it's it's been like sometimes you get this feeling of kids these days when you're a bit older now. But at the same time, I'm also extremely grateful because I feel like I really. Every single new thing that came out, I was basically at the like at that point, like when the NES came out. Well, I got one when the SNES was only a few years old. I got one, and like I was actually a Nintendo person, like for quite a long, like while. Like I got a Nintendo sixty four. I never had like a PlayStation until much much later because that was my friend who did that. I also never played any Sega consoles at all. The only console that I properly completely missed out on was the Dreamcast because it was almost impossible to get in Sweden. Okay. Uh, and, uh, yeah. I mean, I <clears throat> I played a Dreamcast briefly when it came out and then last year, I bought one last year and there's a lot of catching up to do. <laughs> and then people yeah, keep, I can imagine. And then people keep releasing new games. It's very selfish. I'm never going to be able to yeah, play how these. dare they? I know. <laughs> so go in... We got a bit, bit, bit sidetracked, but it's all good. Going, going back onto soundtracks you've, um, you've worked on. So the next one I've kind of got notes on. I started, started playing it uh, last week. Was forced. So obviously that was was that 2014, 15 that originally came out. I am looking at my <laughs> discography on vgmdb.net. Uh, <laughs> to, uh, 2014, it seems. Yes. Yeah. So it's hard. Um, does it seem weird that I mean I'm just going to do some quick maths. It's been it's been out for eight years, and there's still people people that play that and appreciate that and the soundtrack and the gameplay with with that to this day. Um, forced. I mean, yes. First of all, it's it's a little odd uh, how time flies. Uh, but at the same time, it doesn't. Like, it's not that long ago. Yeah. But Forced was also a very interesting uh, point in time. Like, a lot of the opportunities that I've gotten as a composer have been the direct result of me aggressively networking <laughs> with people. Uh, and Forced was very much that. Like, that came about from, like, I did an exchange student kind of thing that was supposed to lead to a master's, that, but didn't because of a scam. And that's, an, that's a different story. Uh, but I did meet... Uh, that w- that took place in Denmark, uh, uh, you know, among other countries. And I got to learn a- uh, or like meet a lot of really cool Danish game developers. And I got to meet folks from Beta Dwarf, uh, the people who made Forced, uh, as they were making Forced. And their journey is perhaps not for this podcast, but podcast. I'm getting British now. Podcast. Um but it is definitely a good one because they have very much like they operated out of like basically a, a house that they had bought for the entire team because before that they had basically been camping at their university campus and got kicked out when the teachers found them over like over the summer because they were just living there. Um, but Forced was a, a dream in the producer's eye and then he just they refused to let go of that dream, but they never really had a music person until I just kind of came along and the game was in the perfect phase for that to be relevant. And so I kind of just jumped on there. And I will be honest, I was an experienced 
I was younger, not young, really. Well, I guess, but a lot younger and a le lot less experienced than I am today. And I did not have the correct tools to communicate properly with a team that I didn't know very yeah. well. I came from like the disaster of Aurora and well, Aurora was still happening in that time, like, but, but also not, it's difficult to keep the timeline separate really. But yeah, so I kind of butted heads a little bit with people there sometimes because I wanted answer to uh, like answers to questions that they couldn't provide. And I wasn't experienced enough to know what to, uh, how to read between the lines, so to speak, because yeah. A very common thing that you often hear from people working with game development who don't do music and sound, you often hear them say, uh, I don't know how to talk about music. And that is their kind of way of going, I don't know how to communicate with you what you what you want to know. Yeah. And now what what my job is, is to find out from them what that is, what they need to, like, what I need to hear from them. I need to kind of read and suss that out, like, be between the lines of what they're saying. But back in the day, I wasn't that good at it. I managed to make a soundtrack that I'm quite proud of, not mixing-wise, but music-wise. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it, I still think it's quite good, but I was never invited back to work on their sequel, and frankly, I understand why. Uh, they found someone local in Denmark who didn't have to travel all the way to Denmark from Sweden and also was probably a little easier to work with, you know? Yeah. You learn things as you kind of take small falls in life. <laughs> as I say, another, another, like, learning experience, but also giving yourself more experience, more more credits and things, getting yourself out there as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you've done, um, done a lot of... Um remixes on like remix albums and reworks and stuff like that did that does that kind of start from the beginning like where you kind of were putting the midi files into the the server is that kind of where that side of it started and being able to be like oh yeah i can change the sound in this this soundtrack like from a from a trumpet to this just by dropping down is that kind of where that started or elsewhere no, that is definitely, yeah, I forgot to mention that when VG Music, when that entire thing happened, I actually, after a few years, I started doing my own uh, contributions to the site, which we called MIDI sequencing back in the day, and I'm not sure that that's, that's the proper term, term for it, but um, I did do that uh, quite a lot, actually. I did, like, took, like, tracks from, like, Soul Blazer, an old SNES classic, and then a lot of Mega Man games, and Mega Man X games in particular. Yes. And just did a whole lot of, like, like MIDI files based of those. And those are still up under, under the moniker of Freddy, which was my, uh, my screen name back in the day. Um, and so what I did, what that did was that trained my hearing right yeah. like the the oral like that like the skill of listening to music and being able to pick out melody baseline chords rhythm structure stuff like that and when like back in 2015 this was when uh materia collective started out that was basically a couple of us who just we we heard about the final fantasy 7 remake being announced and we were just like, we got to make a Final Fantasy VII tribute album. And that is how Materia came about. So, like, 
there, like in 2015, Materia Final Fantasy VII Remixed was released as Materia Collective's first album, and I did two tracks on that one. And I worked with real, like, live musicians, but I didn't quite realize my... I wasn't in my true form yet. That <laughs> happened later. Uh, I was quite modest. I worked with some really good people uh, on what is still one of my, like, most played tracks uh just a, a version of um uh ahead on, ahead on our way i think it's called called uh, it was called keep calm and carry on it wasn't until final fantasy 8 remixed successor that happened happened next year that i actually started working with like writing for large-scale orchestra and we might be getting to that maybe i don't know <laughs> <laughs> so with um your actual writing and recording process it sounds like you want to use as much live instrumentation as possible but i'm guessing budget restraints and things can lead to you know sampling or that sort of things is it just you you kind of scope out what sort of vibe and feeling you want from the game before kind of making a a sound a sound set that you want or is it i don't know how how do you how do you go about your process of deciding what tools you use for the job on a specific game it's always a matter of discussion between me and the developer. And that's a very boring answer, but it's also <laughs> the, the, the true answer, right? Yeah. When it comes to like video game soundtracks that I work on, I very, very rarely, if ever, suggest real musicians. And that is not be- because I don't love working with like real musicians, because I do, but there is the budgetary constraints to be you know concerned about yeah. there because people have to be paid right and i mean i'm getting paid for the work that i'm doing i need to pay people to record for me and if that's the case sadly what ends up happening is usually virtual instruments when it comes to what kind of sound it's also a discussion with the like the developer there. I need to see like screenshots if the game is far along enough to have like actual gameplay, which it normally should be if you want to write music for something. It's nice to be able to play like a demo build and just get yeah. a feel for it. And then you kind of just you talk to the dev, you write a few examples and and or maybe the dev sends you a couple of like in like tracks that they were inspired by um for both uh, Bloody Bloody Trapland 2 and Mac Bisqui, which are two other projects I've worked on, uh, the developer had very clear ideas of like, well, this is what the this sound I want to have. And then it's mostly my job as a composer and owner of way too many virtual instrument <laughs> libraries to figure out which ones to use, what would be incongruous with whatever sound I'm going for, you know, stuff like that. Um, live music and live musicians I love working with them it's tended to be only VGM arrangements because in those cases I guess my quote unquote excuse is that I make almost as little as the people recording for me do which is almost nothing because it goes up on Spotify so in that regard I'm like I don't have a budget but we are all kind of feeding the nostalgia of our collective childhoods right and these are all musicians who grew up with stuff basically like 
the same things that I grew up with. And so we all have a shared love of it. And I don't, I, I never mean to exploit anyone in any way. But then it's like, well, I want to do this. And it's not popular. It's not going to feed the YouTube alg algorithm. But it's something I'm passionate about. Are you in? And then they get to say, yes, I would love that. I have some scheduling right now that makes this possible. Because for some of them, many of them are like session musicians in like real orchestras and stuff like that. And it's like, yeah, I have a week and I would like to do something different. Uh, and or or it's, you know, no, I can't. And in that case, that's got to be fine, too. Right. Yeah. I mean, go back to that. You alluded to um, Bloody Trap Plan 2. From from playing that for the brief period before I got frustrated from dying all the time. <laughs> Which you know, I should as someone who played has played Dark Souls, I should be used to that now. But it was, it just got me with its you know bright, nice bright light colors, and it's then I started dying. It's like, well, it's not supposed to be like that. Was that sort of a change of pace from the other games you've worked on in terms of forced and MS or kind of the the darker end of the the palette and obviously Blue Trapland 2 even though you die a lot it's kind of quite a nice bright colourful game and you can have the sort of more happy songs it was definitely a very welcome change <laughs> and uh, in terms of I mean, Bloody Trapland 2 is, I mean, the clue is in the title. It's a sequel. Yeah. Uh, a, a good friend of mine, uh, Mario, actually wrote the first soundtrack. And so I had the option of going like, oh, should I try and mimic what he did? Or should I do my own thing? And I ended up doing my own thing. Um, that said, the Bloody Trapland 2 soundtrack was an evolving uh, process for, I mean, geez like two three years almost not two years and it and two two years and change i think where i had a lot of the music done and then halfway through decided that i didn't quite like it and basically went back and <laughs> revisited it because the dev was still working on the game so yeah. there was no rush really um i also did a lot of sound effects for the game uh, as well but that was a welcome change because it let me basically i if you've listened to the soundtrack every world has its own kind of unique style yeah and instrumentation like world one is very clearly kind of like donkey kong country-esque with its like marimba and pan flutes and you know stuff like that and i even allude to it with some like you know the rhythms and stuff there as well then we have world two which is like well now we're in like a harmonic minor kind of situation with like a desert feel world three then is suddenly this bright and chipper snow level and every single world that i worked on let me kind of change gears and it's not always that that's possible when working on a game especially like i mean if you work on a game that has to have a very cohesive feel yeah then it all has to fit together but in bloody trapland 2 i kind of didn't have to adhere to that i could kind of just go all in on one feel for one world and then when you got to the next world i could just do something else and yeah. that was okay you know it even fit the, the the game i would argue so yeah it was fun it was a different uh different thing to force than aurora absolutely and obviously like with the having the different worlds and different styles you i say you can it's always like writing five six different soundtracks because you don't have to you know i'm assuming there's still kind of little little bits that links them but you don't really have to think like oh i've used 
this set of instruments so we need to keep that the same on you know all 20 songs on it it's like snow, <laughs> snow world doesn't need a you know like a harpsichord or something like that that said i did fill it with sleigh bells instead but that's oh. you know that's mandatory yeah it's gotta be it's gotta be done you know if if not then i'd be be fuming really <laughs> Yeah, is it is is it even snow if yeah. there aren't sleigh bells? But yeah, I mean, I I'm a very like I'm a huge proponent of motifs, which is not always right, but I tend to come up with like a central motif for the game, which I then kind of meld into different situations. So the Bloody Trapland Two soundtrack absolutely has its own main motif, which is in the first track, I think, uh, which then goes through the entire soundtrack it is sometimes very prominent sometimes not quite as prominent but it's always there yeah as a kind of a reminder that even though the, the instrumentation changes you're still playing the same game you know yeah i say sometimes it's subtle and it's like one of those where you play it for a few times it's like, oh, ah, that 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 bit there that's the one <laughs> i've just noticed that <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> with yourself and your musical influences what sort of artists do you are you inspired by or do you just listen to and enjoy listening to just generally in terms of music not necessarily soundtracks so as a video game music composer i have to keep a wide variety of like influences and from tons of different composers and genres, right? Because the great thing about VGM is that it is all genres. <laughs> uh, from cheesy synth pop to chiptune to giant orchestras. If there's someone I'm very, very much influenced by, I mean, I can think of a couple of composers that I really like. pick up a lot of influences by or from when it comes to VGM in particular. Uh, it would be Hitoshi Sakimoto, as I mentioned earlier, yeah. particularly his Vagrant Story soundtrack, which is my number one favorite soundtrack of all time. But of course, some like Uematsu, some Koji Kondo slips in there, some Mitsuda, Mitsuda comes in there, Kohei Tanaka uh, comes in from Alondra, that's another favorite of mine. Um, so that's a lot of like VGM composers, and I mean, from more... Recent examples, of course, Toby Fox's Undertale has left its mark on us all, right? Oh, it really um, has. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, that's in, that's inevitable, and it's a fantastic soundtrack, but I mean, also Lena Rain's amazing Celeste soundtrack. I mean, there's so much, right? When it comes to non-video game music, I tend to be kind of like an indie-slash-alternative person. Yeah. Uh, depending on the mood, it will be... Either that or some really out there stuff like Nowhere is like one of my favorite bands uh, for Swedish representation. Wintergatan is one of the my favorites as well. But you can also like I just like some some weird like, you know, disco swing, like electro swing kind of stuff as well. Ha like huge Caravan Palace fan as well. Um, it's difficult to pick out one influence i i like to think of my brain as just like this giant flypaper and yeah. everything that comes in just kind of gets stuck and then it kind of percolates there for however long right and then i'll wake up in the middle of the night and just have an idea and where that idea came from it's not easy to tell <laughs> but it comes down on paper and it just yeah it's a mix right <laughs> it's always the best i mean 
you don't want to be have that one singular influence and then everything ends up just sounding like that because it kind of defeats the object really <laughs> i mean ultimately what you want to do like people always say like oh who do you sound like right especially when you're a vgm composer as a lot of like well do you sound like uematsu or koji kondo or whatever and it's like uh, like ideally I want to sound like Frederick Etienne, right? Yeah. I want to sound like me. And I want people to be able to listen to my music and go, ah, that's a Frederick OST, right? Like, I, I recognize, not that I become predictable, but I, I kind of, like, develop a sound that is then itself an amalgamation of everything that is exists in my headspace, right? Everything that comes in kind of combines into who I am as a composer. Yeah. I mean, just going back to your previous mention, I think Vagrant Story deserves a shout out because it does not get the love it deserves because it's an amazing it's game. It's so good. Oh. <laughs> so with your um, games, what what kind of games are you actually playing at the moment? Well, up until quite recently, I was living in the lands between. Uh, I had been playing Elden Ring exclusively since March. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I basically played that until I platinumed it uh, a, a week ago or so now, two or three weeks ago, um, to the point where I actually don't want to play it for a while. <laughs> <laughs> so then after that i was like what am i supposed to play now and so i jumped back into ghost of tsushima which is a game that i started playing loved and then kind of just lost track of yeah but now i got back into it and it is an absolute joy um so that's what i'm playing i've been dabbling in yakuza like a dragon as well i'm a huge fan of the yakuza games the series is just like i started at the best possible place where i started with yakuza zero yeah uh and then i just kind of went through one two three four and i am at five now i haven't gotten to six yet but i wanted to see what seven was it's a bit odd that it's turn-based combat now and not just mash buttons to make people fall over but at the same <laughs> time it like it works it's got the same humor oh yeah um but i'm also very much like i like to have several games going at the same time so I'm sure I'll feel the Dark Souls pull eventually and I'll start up a new character in Dark Souls Remastered and just do like a fun dumb pyro build or something. You know, it's always something. And of course, then I just got an email from like the latest Nintendo Direct and Xenoblade Chronicles 3 is coming out and I'm going to be over that like metaphor for metaphor as soon as that comes out. Uh <laughs> I mean, I'm um, definitely when Xenoblade Chronicles 3 come out. I'm definitely like t tempted to to book the week off work so I can just play that. It's I've I've not been as excited for a game as as Xenoblade Chronicles for in a long time. Anyway, going back to the two games, uh, well, I've not played Elden Ring yet, so I'm going to save that one. But um, I've finished Ghost of Tsushima a few months a few months ago. Actually, it's last month. Time is going quick, but not as quick as I imagine it sometimes. And it's just, it's just stunning. It's, it's one of the most pretty open world games, and you can just ride your horse round, looking at it for so long. But coincidentally, that was a present my girlfriend got me for Christmas. And on the other subject, she is a massive Yakuza fan, so I played Yakuza Kiwami at the beginning of this year, and it's, yeah, it's just that sort of. I love the vibe between the very, very intense, serious story and just the absolute, for lack of a better way of describing it, batshit insane side quests. 
I would argue that no other game series tread the line between silly and serious quite as well as the Yakuza games do. Like, Zero is probably still my favorite out of all of them. It is a brilliant, brilliant game. It's also a fantastic example of how you make an open world filled with stuff, right? Because the, the danger of an open world, like, even like a game like Ghost of Tsushima, which, as you say, is so beautiful. Like, sometimes it's just jaw-dropping. Like, I'm playing it on the PS5 now, mm. and it is just the most ludicrously gorgeous game. But sometimes you do feel like there's not a whole lot of things to do. It's very empty. I mean, I find... As I say, like I always use Fallout of an example as a well, Fallout three and four as an example of open world games that are empty, but they can kind of be excused for that. But then you know you got like Skyrim, which again is a beautiful game world, but you kind of have towns and villages and little things dotted around, and then in between them you've got scenery, but there's nothing really much going on. Whereas I think no. what I say, I've only played Yakuza kawami so i can't say about yakuza zero but what i found with that is it's very condensed but full open world like everything almost in there you're able to see and interact it's not just rows of repeated shops you know every shop is has a different front and a different neon light and it's just yeah but i i just find it bizarre where you're going through this serious serious story and then someone runs up to you to want to play with remote control cars and things like that it's just like (laughs) what even is this (laughs) but i think that's that's what makes it work right because the the seriousness of it and the earnestness of it hits home so much harder when the world can be whimsical and fun and dumb and silly as well right like if some games try to aim for the serious level that Yakuza hits, but they don't have the contrast with the more whimsical, and so the serious doesn't quite hit quite as hard. Yeah. Um, and of course, like you also choose when you per- like partake in the silliness in Yakuza. Like if you you should do all the sub stories, you should like do mini games because you earn stuff that helps your character progress, and you know. In, in Yakuza 0, which is uh, it's just a prequel, it's also set in the same, it's set in Kamurocho as well, it's just in the 80s instead of you know, the 2000s yeah. or, hmm, yes um, but it's like, you choose when to do those side activities and it's nice if you had like a long story part that just beat the crap out of you emotionally to just go like, I'm just gonna go play some Mahjong now for a while, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's nice, nice to have the balance, like sometimes you come home from come home from work and it's like you don't want to have a really heavy chat and it's like ah oh, it's like you just want to go and play some drone racing or go and eat some sushi and have a fight <laughs> i know right like i'm not going to say anything about elden ring because believe you me i know what it's like to not want to be spoiled on a game that you've been looking forward to i basically like, I was blocking and muting and filtering out people for, like, an entire month before I had got... Because I was moving uh, to a new apartment right around when Elden Ring was released, and I could not play it. And I was just like, okay, I'm just going to mute everyone who's talking about it and filter out words on Twitter. But I will say this. From Software somehow made an open-world game, and it is better than it had, like... 
I thought it was going to be good, but it is better than I thought it was going to be. So when you do get to play it, I'm excited to hear what you think of it. <laughs> I, I'm just looking at like the massive pile of games behind me, and it's just like, when will I play this game? <laughs> Who even knows? <laughs> it's just, it's like, yeah, it's it's to say going back to that curse of it's like, oh, there's so many good games coming out, and there's also so many good games of like 40 odd years of gaming history to play now and still no one will let me pay me to play them and i have to have a job <laughs> and do adult stuff and go shopping and it's just not fair <laughs> i know yeah literal first world problems so <laughs> yeah so we'll go hey we'll do um do like a little a little section that i call quick fire questions say so it's just a few simple questions and just First thing that comes into your head, and I imagine all three of these you've already answered in some form anyway. So, in terms of your favorite ever computer game, Vagrant Story. Yeah, nice, simple. We've already talked about that one, so yeah. I don't need to elaborate. Yeah. <laughs> and then your <laughs> no, it's fantastic. Yeah, and then just in general terms for listening, your favorite musical artist. VGM or outside of VGM? Anyone you prefer, either or, or well, both, or your favorite VGM and your favorite outside of VGM. Well, uh, in in VGM terms, Hitoshi Sakimoto, specifically the Vagrant Story soundtrack, to be very <laughs> boring. And outside of VGM, if you haven't listened to uh, Caravan Palace, absolutely check them out. It's Electro Swing as its finest. Excellent. I will check them out, and I haven't already. So that'll be the first thing I'll listen to when when we end this call. And I'm going to change this one because I've got favourite soundtrack, and I have the feeling you may say Vagrant Story. <laughs> <laughs> I might. <laughs> so I'm going to I'm going to change that from favourite soundtrack and mix it up a bit and say favourite film soundtrack. And hopefully, there's not a Vagrant fil- Story film that uses the same soundtrack. That would be silly. Oh, wow. Okay, I got to think a little bit about this one, sadly. I know it's quickfire, but I got to (laughs) think. I am going to say A Beautiful Mind. Okay, nice. Good choices. So, we've we've done the past and we've done the present, so we'll now go on and talk about games that you've got soundtrack, well, you've done soundtracks for that are coming out, so... From from the conversations we had previously, there's Partum Artifacts that is got a trailer out now, soon, very soon. It's all riding on when the developer gets Steam to okay uh, his uh, Steam page, basically. But yes, Partum Artifacts is... Uh, there was actually a demo that uh, Joachim released on uh, itch.io uh which actually gained a small amount of traction that that I also scored and did sound design for the the main game is still being worked on and I'm scoring it doing the voice acting for the Ooh. only voiced role in the game <laughs> and also I am uh, I am doing sound effects for it and it is a treat it is a beautiful disturbing as heck uh horror game with a lot of very very well thought out puzzles yeah. uh, that I think a lot of people will in- enjoy quite a bit. And that's coming out um, soon, trademark. Uh, <laughs> and as soon as the Steam page is uh, up, I will be spreading it everywhere. 
Excellent. I mean, the Steam page may be up by the time the episode is is ready to go out. So if it is, I'll put it in the link in the descriptions. If not, then when it is up, I will retweet it and angrily tell people to go and wishlist it and play the demo and enjoy it. <laughs> so I mean, just, just for context, um, it's a first-person sort of psychological horror-y puzzle game for a better way of describing yep. it so i'm assuming yep, that's it's, a fair way i'm assuming it's going to be quite a atmospheric dark soundtrack yeah it is very much me kind of going back to where like it's 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 fun how some things move in cycles right because this is a more mature the horror of ms aurora for me as a composer more atmospheric more deep and dark uh, I will be limiting myself to quite a small sonic palette, uh, yeah. but it's all very much inspired by the game itself, which to, I don't want to say too much about it, but it is basically centered around um, an artist who is convinced that he has found the solutions to certain problems and wants you to experience them as well. And he is quite unhinged. And uh, it's a delightfully weird role for me to play, uh, voice acting-wise. You are being guided around this house. You are being told uh, his perspectives on art and what art means to him. But of course, art to him is a force that kind of destroys things around him. And that is a story that will unfold as you walk through this house. You kind of unfold unveil the the extent of his madness and um i am very very proud to be working on it extremely excited to uh to talk more about it but right now that's all i can say <laughs> uh, that's excellent i mean i'm looking forward to seeing the progress of it coming out i mean i can imagine it's not going to be a nice light post-work joyous trip through the nice and bright and colorful and flowery and things but obviously no has its place <laughs> and yeah definitely definitely look forward to to that coming out and more details on that and the other game you mentioned that's coming out soon is mac uh, mac Bisquee adventures that does have a steam page when is yeah. there a is there a scheduled release date for that yet or is that still tbc um trademark it is it is very like it is in a couple of months, yeah. but I don't remember. Like right at the top of my the hat, I don't remember the exact date, but I do know that Digital Fox, the developer, has set a date for when it's supposed to come out. Uh, but also with some wiggle room, right? However, that game is almost the polar opposite of uh, Partum Artifacts, and it is also kind of like a Bloody Trapland 2.0 in terms of music, not yeah. gameplay. Uh, gameplay is a lot more lighthearted and feels like a cross between Donkey Kong Country and Adventure Island. Yeah. Um, the soundtrack is very Donkey Kong Country inspired. I'm channeling my inner David Wise on <laughs> this one and Robin Beanland and just uh, just bringing out like th- hopefully there is going to be an underwater section that uh, oh. very much has the uh, yes aquatic ambience. From that oh. Yeah, so it's very much like it's it's like one of my favorite VGM tracks, definitely, and the one that I wrote is absolutely inspired by it. Um, fun, happy, colorful, difficult, but not overly so, and um, a very much like a retro love letter to older games, but in a new and fun, beautiful style. And it sounds, and I mean, 
obviously the main characters uh, that you play as is a monkey, so kind of like the Donkey Kong Country vibes are definitely appreciated. And yeah, I love those games so much from a just get they're the perfect platformer for me. They're just perfect gameplay. They're challenging, but not ridiculous. And yeah, the soundtrack on especially the the SNES ones, you know, Donkey Kong Country 1 and 2 is just beautiful. And yeah. It's a if you're going to be inspired by any any soundtrack to make a platform game, those those ones are good places to pull your inspiration from. Yeah, absolutely. Like also the technical wizardry that went into actually composing those soundtracks for that hardware. Oh yeah. Is uh David Wise has spoken at length about like the twists and turns that he had to go through to actually do that. And it is insanely impressive, right? Um, so yes, absolutely really looking forward to talking more about that one as well. I also have another project that I'm not sure that I mentioned to you that I kind of want to talk about a little bit, if that's okay yeah, with you. That is always fine. So I mentioned Niflas before, um, who is still a source of inspiration for me. And one thing that I'm doing right now is... Um, uh, what a good friend of mine termed uh, a very much Frederick-esque kind of project, uh, which is um, Niflas released in 2006 a game called Within a Deep Forest, which I heartily recommend to anyone who wants to get a challenging, fun platformer, uh, 2D, sprite-based, with an amazing soundtrack. And what I, like, I was like, I want to do something with this soundtrack. I want to do like a remix album, but I don't want to just remix it. So what I ended up starting work on was uh, within a deep forest, an orchestral tribute. And what I am doing is basically orchestrating for a real orchestra, the entire soundtrack. And it should be mentioned that the soundtrack is very glitch, electro, lo-fi, ambient, you know, with a lot of cool melodies and and very, very awesome stuff in it, but also not something that would be traditionally played by a real orchestra. Yeah. And I am currently working on that and posting some updates on Twitter occasionally, hoping to be done with that, the writing part in a couple of months, and then we'll see who will be the unlucky souls who want to record this for me. <laughs> <laughs> but that is something I want to plug as well, because it's something I'm extremely excited about and something that will appeal to, I think, 12 people total. <laughs> well, hopefully when when this goes out and my listeners hear about it, that will be another six people. So we'll be, we'll be boosting those figures up. But yeah, I'll, I'll definitely retweet <laughs> it and keep an eye on it, because I like that. I'm trying to think who it was now, but there was a thing. I ah, it's gone. There's an art, the artist that did the first album that used like entirely samples, like no live instrumentation, and then a few years ago it was actually played live by like a full orchestra and instrumentation. It's kind of like that sort of taking electronic music to be played on more traditional instruments, but then also doing the reverse. Like there was um. Oh, there's that dance song that Tiesto did, but it wasn't wasn't him originally that did like the electronic version of it. That was like the guy that made all the electronic versions of lots of classical music. So it's like um, Baba's Adido for strings that's now played in yeah 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 clubs and stuff like that. And it's like that sort of thing is just like really appreciating how how music can exist as 
as one thing that you know but then it can be reimagined in so many different ways and i'm at risk of getting like really deep and pretentious with this conversation <laughs> so well um, El, hey that's that's what i'm here for uh <laughs> i if you'd let me this is not the place and time for it probably but i could have i could go on at length about just <laughs> how to translate this into an orchestra, how to deal with orchestration. And of course, since I'm self-taught, a lot of this is like me reading a lot of books, re listening to a lot of music from a lot of different films and games and stuff and reading a lot of scores. But it's always a challenge of like, how, how would you translate these different things into real orchestra while still keeping the soul of the original alive? And that is why this is so exciting to me. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, who knows, that could be another episode where we, we talk through it track by track as to how you accomplished it. We can I would be really excited <laughs> to do that. And we can compare <laughs> we can compare the original ones from the soundtrack with your with the versions that you've done and just hear the difference and how you know how it was envisaged and how it oh, how it came man, across. That, look, that sounds so good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll I'll be in touch with that one then. So going back to the, the, the serious questions. In terms of um, those games and obviously the soundtrack uh, reimagining that you're working on, is there any other work you've got in the pipeline or is that pretty much it that can be discussed at this moment in time? I have other things. Uh, VGM-wise, there are there at least there's at least one project that I am actually not at liber liberty to, to, to discuss at all. It's an NDA-protected pr thing. Yep. Uh, I didn't mention this at the start, but I do a lot of like tangentially audio related stuff as well i'm also an audiobook narrator uh in swedish and uh, i am currently recording one of those so for the even smaller amount of listeners who are swedish that's a thing that i'm working on um apart from that i am it's just a lot of like smaller personal things smaller orchestrations of vgm uh that i can't really discuss because that is uh that's that that are like that those are things that are going to come out later yeah uh i've for for a long time now i've been involved with both game grooves and uh, pixel mixers uh, who both are amazing communities with amazing people uh, releasing some fantastic soundtrack well not soundtracks but like vgm albums and uh i am absolutely going to be working with them in the future as well is what i'll say about that one <laughs> excellent i mean so in terms of the best way to keep up with what you're working on and things your twitter and website are they the best sort of two channels to keep up to date with you my website should be the the best way and it absolutely isn't <laughs> it will be uh once i've finished this web development co course that i'm currently taking but right now it is very much out outdated but my Twitter, yes, twitter.com slash Frederick Hathen, H-A-T-H-E-N. And on YouTube, I will uh, be posting uh, both when I do live streams, which I do. I try to do every Sunday. I've skipped out a couple of weeks now because I was feeling very unwell. Uh, but that will resume this uh, upcoming Sunday. Well, not depending on when this goes live, but soon anyway. Yeah. Uh, and that is on youtube.com slash Frederick Hathen Music in one word. And those are, I think, the two best ways to stay on top of what I'm doing. Excellent. I will pop links to them in the episode bio as well if people want to follow that up. Uh, I mean, that kind of brings me to the end of the questions I've got for yourself, Frederick. Do you have anything that you would like to talk about at all? 
I mean, I could probably talk forever about the <laughs> things that I love to do, but um, I assume that your audience is going to consist mostly of either composers of VGM or people who maybe want to start writing music for games. Yeah, I mean, it's a mix. Like, I know there's people that just appreciate soundtracks and maybe don't have a, a desire and more want to know how to how how it's made kind of thing, but... Yeah, it's a it's a fair mix, but yeah, yeah. I guess I would just like to leave this like little closing statement that I haven't really rehearsed at all. But like the idea is that just if you feel passionately about something, you should do it, right? And that sounds like a very cliched thing to say, but in today's algorithm uh, ruled world where we need to kind of keep up with what YouTube wants to show other users and you know, how to play into what is popular right now. I've done my sh my fair share of that as well, because you, you gotta sometimes. But at the same time, you should do what sparks joy, to borrow a Marie Kondo phrase. You should do what really makes your soul sing and your heart hum. And if there is a song in you that you want to write, if there is a VGM arrangement that you want to do, just do it and do it in your way. Don't think too much about other people. Don't compare yourself to others unfavorably because that leads to nothing and comparison is, as we all know, the thief of joy. And just take care of yourself. Make sure, you know, don't doom scroll. Do what you can to stay afloat in a world that feels like sometimes we're all drowning. But I think there's hope. And as much like as long as we all follow the creative roads that kind of pave themselves in front of us as we keep walking on them. I think we're going to be okay. Yeah. And as always, don't read the comments. <laughs> always. Always <laughs> that. <laughs> well, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on, Frederick. I really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule. And best of luck with the uh, upcoming games and the reimagining of the, the soundtrack and also your audiobook stuff. Unfortunately, there's no point me listening to it because I won't have the faintest idea of what's being said. But... I'm sure people. I'm sure people that understand Swedish will appreciate them as well. So yeah, appreciate you being on, and thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. This has been an absolute pleasure. Once again, I'd like to thank Frederick for taking time out of his schedule to chat to myself. If you'd like to find out more information about his work, you can check out his Twitter and website, the links of which will both be in the episode description. I'll also leave links to the games he's worked on and the upcoming games as well. The next episode will be going live on the 22nd of July. I'd like to thank you all for listening and hope you enjoyed the episode.